The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's our reading for today, and I invite Pastor Josh right back up to, to unpack that for us. Yes, I would ask you guys to pray with me before we dive into this lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're a good God. You're a God who is patient with us. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we are uh, not the best-behaved children, uh, Lord, and yet you are trying to create in us something beautiful, something powerful. So we pray that uh, you continue to mold us and shape us in your image. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we have an uh, interesting sermon graphic this time. Every year we have a tradition here at Acts to go through our values. And our values actually spell out our name, A-C-T-S, Adventure, Community, Transformation, and Sending. The problem is, this time, we decided to do Sending Sunday first, so we're going backwards, hence Acts backwards. Also, I am a 13-year-old matured boy, so I laugh and giggle every time I say it, right? But we're going through in reverse. We did Sending last week, and instead of preaching on it, we said, no, we just want to go out and actually be sent. We want to get our hands dirty, literally, and so we went to Baghdad, and we helped Acts of Love, and we went out into the community garden, and we just worked and loved and said, you know, what God sent us, his, his son, so he could send us. This week, though, we're going to be looking at transformation. Uh, before we get to the transformation, though, there is a question that kind of sets up why transformation. The question is this. Have you ever wondered what's God's plan for the world? Or, quite frankly, if he even has one. Right? So you turn on the news, and you see what's happening in Hong Kong, or you see what's happening with the shootings. And you wonder, this is it? This is the plan, God? Are you, are you actually still working? Or you go to the doctor and you get a note back that says, yeah, it's positive. You have X. Or you're fighting with your spouse. And what becomes a small argument becomes one that goes on for months or for years. Or your family. Or the pink slip. And it's just broken. And you look at the situations and you're like, God, if you just fix these externals, if you just fixed my body, if you just fixed this country, if you just fixed this political party, this school, my family, everything would be okay. God, there are these external forces at work in the world and they're broken. God, can you fix them? Or do you even want to fix them? What's interesting is if you look at the Old Testament, one of the biggest takeaways 
is that throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, God is fixing the externals. But it doesn't fix the root problem. You see this in Genesis 1 and 2, right? God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates everything. He says it's good. He creates mankind. He gives us this giant playground called earth. And he says this is for you to steward and to manage and to bring the best out of. And he says that's very good. And it goes okay for a couple of days. And then mankind decides, you know what? Yeah, we know you've got a plan, but we've, we've got a better one. We actually think we would be better gods than you. And mankind rebels. And literally everything goes to hell. Hell is separation from God. It's separation from each other, separation from the world. And everything goes that way. All right? God sets up perfect externals and an internal problem mucks it all up. You look at Genesis 12. And God tells Abraham, and now I will make you a great nation and I will bring good to you. He promises the people of Israel, I'm going to create a country. Right? And I am going to set up good externals for you. He says, I'm going to put you in the land flowing with milk and honey, or in Texas speak, low property taxes, good school district. Right? He says, I'm going to give you this external setup. And what does Israel do? Well, they rebel. In fact, you read through the book of Judges, and there is this common refrain that God sets good for the people, and then they forget him. They're like, ah, we got better ideas. And then there's a consequence to that rebellion. So God is not a vindictive God. He's not up there being like, you know what? Oh, you disobeyed me? I'm just going to lay the hammer down. It's actually the opposite. He doesn't want to lay the hammer down, but evil has a price. It's cancer to our bodies. It's cancer to our souls. Cancer is literally... Cells not doing what they were programmed to do. And then it starts to kill the body. That's what sin does. That's the consequence of sin. It literally starts to fight and eat at the body. Eventually, the people are like, the reason why we keep rebelling is because you haven't set up an earthly government. Right? We want a king. And so you get to first, or first Samuel 8, and it's kind of a funny story if you ever want to just read kind of and chuckle about uh, a scriptural story. Right? So the people are like, we want a king. And so how do they choose a king? They literally gather all the people of Israel together, and they find the tallest dude. That's the description. They're like, who's the biggest guy we got? Who's the guy who's going to stand above everyone else so when he has to go meet with the other kings and queens, he has the right stature? And go figure, this doesn't turn out very well, right? He's not a very good king. And so eventually God's like, okay, I'll tell you what. You want a king? I'm going to give you a king that's after my own heart. I'm going to give you the best. And even then, we rebel. Even then, we're like, yeah, you know what, though, God? We, we, we got better ideas. The Old Testament is one example after another of the external is not the problem. It's the internal stuff that's creating all the external havoc and muck and junk. So my wife and I, we just got a puppy. 
And typically, if you were to walk into my living room, there's all kind of cool board games that are out, and we got books, and she's got this really neat, like, Hamilton, like, script book thing. You're like, yeah, we're, we're definitely, like, rocking it. With a puppy, all of it's gone, right? We have bordered down our house, right? We're literally, we have, like, fences everywhere. If you've ever had kids, you've done this. Every electrical outlet is covered. You've got this thing to make sure that they can't hit their head on sharp edges. You fix all the external so they don't hurt themselves. But the goal is not to live the rest of your life with covers on the external electrical outlets. The goal for your children, the goal for our house, is eventually the internals mature enough that they understand how to handle these things. And in fact, if you have kids, eventually you're going to want them to play with those toys, right? They might be too young to handle a hammer or a saw, but eventually you're going to want to raise them up so they can fully experience everything you have to offer. You see, that's what God is after in this internal fix. And we see this really clearly in the prophets, right? So we just went through a very, very overarching view of the Old Testament history, but eventually it gets to the prophets. And God says, we're going to do something different. And this is what he promises. He says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. God says, I'm going to do something different. Instead of fixing the externals, I'm going to start to fix and work on the internals of each and every one of my children. And that's what we here at Acts call transformation. It's literally the reason why we do everything that we do. So if we ever have a ministry that isn't somehow connected to how are we transforming ourselves internally, then we're not going to do it anymore. I don't care how many people show up. I don't care how big the budget is. Christianity is about the transformation ministry. It's about saying, God, we realize there's something wrong inside of us, but you've got a better plan. And that plan has a purpose, and that plan actually affects the externals. Again, from the prophets. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and you and move you to follow my decrees, careful to keep my laws. And you will live in the land I gave you and your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will save you from all uncleanliness. Right? He says, I'm going to do something inside of you. There's going to be this new spirit, this new heart. You're going to be in tune with what God is doing, in rhythm with how he is moving. And then there's a promise. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful. And I will not bring famine upon you. 
I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so you will no longer suffer, suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. The internal starts to affect and transform the external. You see, this new spirit inside of you, that's his plan for the world. We, as God's children, are literally his plan to save the world. Let that sink in for a moment. I mean, he's God. He can fix it over and over and over again. He did it in the Old Testament, but it didn't fix the root problem. And so he says, we're going to do something different. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. I'm going to breathe my life into you. And that life is going to do something different. I was talking with one of our members earlier this week, and we were talking about how we as a church try to love. And he was talking about how he'll talk to non-Christians and talk about love. And he goes, you know, non-Christians love just as well as I do. Right? They do. By their own power. In fact, probably non-Christians oftentimes love better than I do. The difference with Christianity, though, is our love doesn't come from ourselves. Our love, our forgiveness, our strength comes from a God who says, before you love me, I'm going to love you. Before you can accept me, I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to pour all of me into each and every one of you. And then from that place of fullness and love and grace, he says, you're going to pass that grace forward. And so it's not about how much you can love. It's not about how strong you are or how joyful you are or how kind you are. He says, I'm going to be the first one to move. And I'm going to pour all of me into you. And then I'm going to send all of you to pour that same love and that same joy. And that same transformation into the world around you. See, that's the power behind Christianity. It's not that we're smarter. It's not that we're better. It's that we have a God who says, I will fight for you. I will fill you up. And I will send you out. We see this in our scripture reading today. He talks about these two spirits, these two types of fruit. And he goes, but if you are led by the spirit, and this is the Holy Spirit, now you are not under the law. He goes, the acts of the flesh of the world, how the world operates, he goes, those are obvious. He goes, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Think about the last time you got frustrated on the news or scrolling through social media. Was it hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage that got you upset? Was it seeing someone's selfish ambition or was it even your own selfish ambition raging against what you saw? That's the externals that we see every day. But those externals have an internal problem. So this is the spirit of the world. He goes, but there's a different type of spirit and a different type of fruit. I warn you as before, he says, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit, that's love. That's joy, peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And against these such things, there's no law. 
So those who belong to Christ have been crucified. The flesh, so all that other junk, the divisions, the hatred, with its passions and desires. Because you don't have to have that anymore. I'm going to build something inside of you. And that beautiful thing is going to start to affect and to change what's around us. And what's interesting here is that there's actually two different benefits from this new spirit. One, it brings heaven to earth. Heaven is not some far-off place. Heaven literally just means where God's at. And like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Not a thousand years from now, not when I die, your kingdom come. No, Jesus teaches us to pray, bring God's kingdom, bring God's presence, his beauty, his strength here. In Leander, in North Austin, in Texas, in the United States, into the ends of the earth. He says, this new spirit is going to bring God, and wherever God goes, things get better. So wherever I send my kids, things are going to get better. But beyond that, we still live in a broken world, right? We still get pink slips. We still go to the doctor. Things still break down, and that new spirit gives us a new way of dealing with the muck and the junk and the hurt. He says, you're not alone. Says it's going to allow you to handle these things differently. And in the midst of suffering, you'll still experience joy and love and peace, which transcends all understanding. And, he goes, and it will be fruit. And the thing with fruit is fruit doesn't try really hard to be fruit, right? An apple does not sit all day long thinking, I'm going to be an apple, I'm going to be an apple, I'm going to be a bigger apple. That's not how it works. You become an apple by staying connected to the source of the tree, and that's how you grow. Because that's the fruit that's going to happen when we stay connected to the source, which is Jesus. When we encounter him, when we follow him, when we stay connected to him, something good starts to grow in our life. Something beautiful starts to grow in our life. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, we see in the lives of the followers. This comes from the story of Simon Peter encountering Jesus. And he was a fisherman, and Jesus had told him, hey, I know you haven't caught anything today, but throw the nets on the other side. I want to show you a trick. And he does, and all of a sudden they get more fish than they can even handle in the boat. And this is what Peter says. He says, Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. A common refrain in the followers of Jesus is they all realize they don't have it all together. No one shows up to follow Jesus and is like, hey, I'm doing all right. My internals are just where they're supposed to be. That never happens. In fact, the people who show up to follow Jesus as a co-equal are told, you don't want any part of this. But what's beautiful is, God doesn't look at us and say, you know what, I'm going to shame you for not being perfect. 
He doesn't look down and be like, yep, you're right, you're drunk. Instead, what does Jesus say? He says, I'll tell you what, Peter. You've been fishing for fish. I'm going to show you how to fish for people. I'm going to show you how to have more impact than anything you ever dreamed of. And in fact, the work you do, Peter, is going to help build a church that is going to last into eternity. He invites them in, but it starts from a posture of, you know what? I need help. My internal clock, my internal compass isn't where it needs to be. Second step we see with the centurion. A centurion was a captain in the Roman military. He had a hundred warriors underneath him. It was a position of power, of privilege. And one of them meets Jesus. He says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. And these are, listen to the words. He says, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell you this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He says, hey, guess what? You're not just another teacher. You're not another pastor. He says, you're Lord. He says, whatever you say is going to happen. You don't actually have to go anywhere. You can just say, be healed, and you will be healed. And so the second step of following Christ realize, is realizing that he's Lord and God, which means you're not. And that, that can be hard sometimes, right? Because we can want to be our own gods. That's what got us in trouble in Genesis. We're like, you know what? No, we've got better ideas. Whenever we think we've got a better idea than God, it ends poorly. Think about some of the worst moments of your life. How many of them were created by your own best thinking? Fights that you've gotten into. Choices you've made. Where you were so certain you were right, because at that moment you decided you were God and, and he wasn't. But to follow Christ means that, you know what, there is something beyond me. There is an external force that is good, and it's not my own thinking that's going to get me there. Lastly, when we talk about following Christ, we learn a lot from Paul. Paul started as Saul. And he had all the externals going for him. He was born in the right family. He did all the right things. He was trying to control all the externals to fix the internal, to set up the internal for success, but it didn't work. So much so, he writes this to the Philippian church. He says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in the external, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, a zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my God for whose sake I'll lose all things. I consider them garbage 
that I might gain Christ. He says, all that stuff that I used to do, all those things that I worked for, I consider them garbage. In Greek, that word is skubala. And again, I told you I am still a maturity level of a 13-year-old boy. It's one of my favorite words in Greek. It's the word for excrement. In fact, in some Greek literature, it's the word for a vulgar word for excrement. I consider them expletive. I'll throw them all away. That I might have Christ. That I might be connected to him. Because when it comes to following God, it's all or nothing. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And we look at that and we're like, you know what? I like your life. I like the benefits. I like that truth, but you know what? I'm going to do it my own way. That doesn't work. You know what? I, I like the way Jesus seemed like a good teacher. He said a lot of nice things. There was some good truth there, but I've got a different idea of what my life should look like. It doesn't work that way. It's an all or nothing package, but the all that we receive is so beautiful is so transformative. Not only are we changed and equipped to deal with a broken world, but we get to bring healing and love to a broken world, and we get to be a part of God's plan to redeem the world, to restore the world. And then we get in sync with God. I love how Galatians ends. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in sync with the Spirit, in rhythm I am by no means an accomplished musician. In fact, most of the time you can realize how unaccomplished I am because I screw up the chords. I'll play a G, I'll play a C, and then I'll go to an A, and it's like, that doesn't sound right because I'm not in sync with what God is doing, with what the music is supposed to be doing. But when we live by the Spirit, we start to hear that music that God is playing, and all of a sudden, naturally, we know how to act and respond and that ebb and that flow makes something beautiful happen. And things that used to baffle us make sense to us. And we know how to respond to situations. And those situations not only internally become better, but the externals get healthier. And that's what God is after. That is who he is fighting for. That's why Jesus came in the first place. But again, it starts not with us. It starts with God moving first. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. As a way to, again, connect to him. It's a, we call it a sacrament, a sacred moment, where we again have communion with him and we have communion with each other. And we are connected and we are filled up. We are loved. So that we might leave to love. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who is working to transform each and every one of us, to put that new heart, that new spirit. Lord, I pray that as we go here today, leaving into a world that's still got a lot of brokenness, Lord, that those fruits of joy and love and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and peace, patience. Lord, that that good fruit 
not only changes us, but every person and every community we encounter. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.